Welcome to the Simpleton Podcast, the favorite podcast of heaven. But very few people in heaven are tuning in today because we're going to talk about inflation. How are you doing, Laura? Doing good, Clark. Okay, so we did an inflation podcast two years ago, and there's a new issue on the horizon. Our inflation podcast two years ago aged pretty well. Um, almost all the predictions in it came true. I think all of them did, actually. And um, they were very basic in predictions, though. Um, and people enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. there's a new thing on the horizon that really deserves to be discussed by anyone who's trying to gonna make it through the next so many years of the economy. Should we start with just recapping the episode from two years ago? Well, let's, I wanna, I'm sure we said this in the episode two years ago, but you are um, trained in economics. Um, I am not. <laughs> so I, I think this episode is going to be some ideas and observations that you have. And I'm sort of the layman asking questions. Right. Right. And economics is kind of a, an interesting discipline. And at one level, it operates very logically. Mm-hmm. You know, you can build almost like proofs, like here's the economy, here's prices. Now, what happens if we do this one thing and all else stays equal? Right. And you can actually kind of show logically what has to happen. You know, but then there's also parts of economics that are like behavioral economics that you talk about people's psychology. There's also parts of economics that are just touchy feely modeling where you're not assuming everything stays equal, but you're trying to model a very complex problem. Mm -hmm. And everything that we're covering is this basic um, analysis. It's real basic economics. And so I want you to protest whenever you don't feel like something follows logically. Right. I'm going to just try to lay it out very simply. Okay. Mm -hmm. So two years ago, the simple situation was this. Um, We had we had increased the money supply by one third, either by issuing loans from the government or by printing money. Mm -hmm. And that was due to um, the pandemic response. Right. And so by increasing the money supply by one third, the logical implication is uh, inflation. Like you just mm-hmm. pumped a third more money into the economy. Prices are going to rise to account for all this additional money, but it doesn't happen instantaneously. It happens over time. There's always a lag, right? And you can see that if you ever put the money supply next to um, bad inflation years, like in a, in like a timeline, you, I did that before that last episode and there was like a two, three year lag usually in this problem. So some prices start increasing and then it kind of works its way through the economy. The very last price that increases is the price for labor that we call wages. Let me just ask you a question to clarify. Uh, so you said it inflation happens when there's more money in circulation. So the prices are adjusting, but that's because the money is less valuable because there's more of it. Right. Like the yeah. number of uh, the, the money is traded for, you know, commodities, mm-hmm. right? Or for things, assets, right? And if there's the same number of assets, but a lot more money, then the assets are just worth more, mm-hmm. you know, and that's okay. inflation. And so right. like a, a temporary crisis, like a run on masks during COVID is not really inflation. Mm-hmm. That's a price. Uh, that's a supply equal demand problem. Mm-hmm. It's not an inflation problem, mm-hmm. right? Now, certain things like maybe the Saudis pumping less oil could cause a general inflation, but that's not really uh, what we're going to talk about either. Pumping a third more money into the economy causes a dramatic amount of inflation. So when we were talking about this a couple years ago, it was like, there's a couple problems. Like one, anyone can log on to the St. Louis Federal Reserve Bank, which is 
nicknamed the Fred, <laughs> and you can pull up a money supply graph, and it'll show you that in the last couple of years, the money supply has increased by a third. And inflation mm-hmm. has not increased yet. You know, it's coming down the pipe. The other thing you saw was uh, interest rates were still at like 3%. Now, an interest rate naturally should never be below an inflation rate. It doesn't make sense. Like, if you right. can borrow at 3% and you think 10% inflation's coming, of course you borrow and you just buy a house, even if you board it up. You don't even have to rent it out. You can just board it up. It'll go up 10%. You only mm-hmm. owe 3% of what you borrowed. So you're making that 7% difference. So that's actually what Wall Street was doing. They saw it coming. They were buying up houses. Even today, Wall Street sees what's coming. And one in five single family homes sold today is sold to institutional investors on Wall Street, which is a scary thing. Yeah. Sorry, this is a little off topic. But uh, Ryan and I heard that recently, and we were trying to figure out if that was true because... Because he sees all the houses that are bought, you know, here. Well, it's nationwide, and, mm-hmm. you know, the neighborhood your guys in might not be the type of neighborhood that Wall Street okay. identified as the best neighborhood for them to buy assets in. Okay. okay. So I think that, you know, locally it's not true. Nationwide, it's that's it's just, true. Okay. It's just published as true, right? So, yeah. um, so the inflation rate and the interest rate should always be related, and the interest rate always should be above the inflation rate. We had 3% interest rates and inflation was coming down the pipe and it was very predictable because we were subsidizing the interest rate. And mm-hmm. anyone who listened to our last podcast at that time, a couple years ago, and went and borrowed some money and bought an asset did well. You know, the other thing we talked about there was that this inflation's inevitable. It's got to work out like this, this money supply increase has got to work out through the prices in the economy. I've heard that referred to as the Papillon effect, which I think is French for like butterfly effect. Um, and there's pain in all that because these prices are running away from you and your wages are not increasing at the same rate. Mm-hmm. So everyone who's a parent right now knows that's true who's done a household budget and it feels like eating ground beef right now it's like eating steak yeah you know because <laughs> of how the prices have changed over the last couple of years um and that's happened nationwide and people know it mm-hmm. you know um so finally they decided they couldn't keep subsidizing the interest rate now the interest rate on like a home loan is about seven percent not three percent mm-hmm. right Okay, so that all happened. The other prediction that was kind of important in there was about world hunger. Take any country in your imagination where the story is that people make two bucks a day or four bucks a week or 30 bucks a month or some like money that you're just like, how do these people even survive, right? And these people benefited not at all from the COVID stimulus package. Like none of Mm -hmm. them got a check from the U.S. government. Right. None of their companies got subsidized, which, by the way, when you look at that, you know, we said this in that last episode, about one in seven of the covid stimulus dollars went to households and families and individuals. And the other six out of seven went to corporations. So the vast majority of it, you didn't see, you know, and it was very it's even now. I don't know where it went. Like, I know that the payroll protection and things like that took up some but I haven't seen a great breakdown of anyone who went through that 500 page bill and figured out what happened, you know? Wow. Yeah. So very little of it actually went into your bank account, right? Yeah. Well, none of it went into Mr. So-and-so's bank account. Who's living in a developing nation who makes three bucks a day. Right. right. 
And the majority of his $3 a day is going to subsistence needs like food. U.S. is the biggest agricultural exporter. When we have 10% inflation, it's hitting him really hard. Mm. You know, because his money goes mainly towards food. His food prices increased 10% and he got none of the stimulus. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, It turns out, yes, world hunger dramatically increased since COVID. Wow. And it's not from Ukraine, you know, grain blockade or something like this. Yeah. It's from inflation and from what the developed world did during COVID. Yeah. So it was kind of an enormous wealth transfer to people who could get these subsidized loans, which is just for a middle class family, you can get a subsidized loan for uh, purchasing a home. Uh, If you're Wall Street, you can get a subsidized loan for all types of things. Mm -hmm. You know, banks are willing to give it to you. So people who could get those subsidized loans and bought assets at that reduced interest rate um, and then got the benefit of the inflation, there was a wealth transfer there. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you know, the war in Ukraine. And I see like a lot of media coverage about inflation. It just says, you know, because of COVID and because of the Ukraine war, we have inflation. Yeah. Does that explain (laughs) something I said in that podcast two years ago that is so weird and true is that inflation is like God. It's like everyone has a strongly held opinion about it. And most of them are Uh completely ridiculous. You know, (laughs) I didn't remember. (laughs) I really like certain like news sources. Like I like Mm -hmm. Matt Taibbi. I like um, the Breaking Points podcast with Crystal and Saga. Mm -hmm. Right. They're kind of ridiculous whenever they talk about inflation. Yeah. You know, and I think it's because it goes against a lot of political ideas and we don't want to accept the reality of um, government spending and inflation. Like, like we want to say, hey, let's give, why aren't we just giving healthcare to everyone? It's like, or are you just living in a world of infinite resources? Are you not thinking yeah. there's such thing as a debt? Are you, or like, um, you know, somebody would be like, hey, you know, if we just increase this tax, we could do this whole new program. And it's like, well, actually, we're at a deficit right now and our inflation, yeah. our debt's getting out of control. I mean, any new, you know, tax you did should just go to balancing the budget at this point, you know? Yeah. So it's just kind of weird the way people politically think about it. And that's part of the problem. So now it's, so all that's like the historical last podcast. It aged pretty well. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm kind of sad about that podcast. I'm proud that it turned out to be like <laughs> on point, but I'm like sad because yeah. it sucked. Everything in there was a bad, you know, prediction, yeah. but I hope that yeah. people benefited or took a few actions to help themselves, you know, during that. Are you ready for the next topic? This is why we're doing another inflation podcast. Okay. I'm going to try to make this case using um, primary source reasoning and using like analogous reasoning. And I I wish the primary source reasoning was convincing enough for everyone, but I think the analogous reasoning really hits home for a lot of people. Mm. So let's start with talking about a family or a firm, a business or a a person, you know, or your family, you know, Uh, debt is not that big of a deal if you're getting something in exchange that's going to have lasting value. For example, mm-hmm. like if you're getting, if, if, if you buy a home, well, now you're more in debt, but you also got this enormous asset to counterbalance that, you right. know, um, if you are going to increase your income by a lot, you can also go into debt, but your income's increasing far faster than the debt. And you're kind of not in a alarming situation. The alarming situation is when your debt is increasing at a rate that's not being made up for by some wealth of assets and your income is not increasing as fast as the debt. Mm-hmm. And that is a situation you could call a debt spiral or runaway debt. 
right? Mm -hmm. And if you're a person, a family or a company, that's when bankruptcy is on the horizon and it's probably better to take the bankruptcy hit sooner than later. Yeah. You know? So countries have a different problem. Uh, they could declare bankruptcy and default on all their loans, but instead of doing that, what they really do is they print their way out. Mm -hmm. Right. So in Europe, they can't print their way out as individual countries because they're sharing a currency. Mm -hmm. This is the analogous reasoning here. So if Italy um, is accruing a lot of debt, which they did, uh, the European Union comes down and says, look, you guys are past the red line. Um, you have to pay down this debt. And the way they measure it in Europe is they will not allow your debt to become more than 60 percent of your economic production. So it's like it's debt divided by GDP. So if your debt is 60% of your economic production or more, the European Union gets involved. So this has happened before, and this is what Europe calls austerity. Mm -hmm. You know, so then they go to, this happened to Greece, it happened to Italy, it happened to Spain, it probably happened to more, but those are the three I know for sure. And when the European Union basically went to those countries and said, next year, you're going to have a budget that is either so much smaller or a budget surplus so that your debt goes below your, econo uh, your mm -hmm. economic production, you know, below 0.6 of your economic mm -hmm. production. And they have to do that because they're sharing a currency. Like if Italy has still had the lira, they could uh, do whatever they want. There'd be mm -hmm. no one they were held accountable to. And then when they got in a big bad problem, they would print a lot of lira. And they've, that's happened before. In the 70s, they had an average of 15% inflation for five years. Wow. And they call that galloping inflation. I'll talk more about that yeah. in a bit because that's one of the possible outcomes. Um, galloping inflation is where you're kind of causing more inflation. <laughs> you're kind of causing a debt problem while printing away your debt. Mm -hmm. um, so... That is the European situation. So their red line is 0.6. The United States is currently at 1.2. We're at twice the European red line. Our debt is 120% the size of our GDP. Now, to hit that home even more, merely the interest on our debt, which I think is close to 5% right now, it's $1 trillion a year is the average, is the projected interest payment right now. Our interest payment on our debt is faster than any idea of growth of our GDP. Does that make sense? So yes. the interest yeah. that's compounding and growing our debt, even without any new borrowing, even without, even if we had a balanced budget as far as like income and expense, the interest rate itself will grow it faster than our economy can keep pace. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the point, this is like a tipping point for runaway debt, the debt yeah. spiral. And we don't have any, like, mechanism of accountability, right, like the EU does. Right. There's no EU to intervene with the United States. So yeah. the two, like, kind of, like, real responsible citizen things to do here would be, like, either the U.S. puts itself on a diet, like an enormous federal diet, you know, of, like, budget surpluses. Yeah. Um, austerity measures, which I hear no one uh, campaigning for president right now or anyone in either of the major parties <laughs> talking about you know like if they're talking yeah. about it i don't know that you could run right now and say we're gonna cut back on everything yeah i think i think it's like when you're looking at a family budget you know and you have like certain financial goals or whatever like the austerity you can kind of 
institute some austerity measures, you know, in your family, like we're going to tighten up a little bit to save up for this or to reach this goal. And it really makes a lot of sense on that, like small, you know, plane. Um, but I, I have heard people say that austerity measures don't work for eliminating, you know, uh, large debt. And I'm curious if that has worked for the countries in the EU and why people would say it doesn't work. So, um, I think there's a really bad political motivation beside behind those people saying that mm -hmm. I think they're either very ignorant or they are, um, actually have an agenda that's crooked. Okay. And that's, I mean, it's hard as for me far to say, as like, like running, nobody wants to run on that. Cause it's like, nobody wants to say when I could, become president, we're going to have some hard years ahead. Right. <laughs> right. Like, let's say that, um, you were going to say, we're going to cut food stamps by 1% and Medicaid mm -hmm. by 1% and this by 1%. Right. And we're going to cut the military spending and we're going to pull out of Ukraine and we're going to do this. Right. But that's what an austerity measure would look like. Right. Mm -hmm. You're going to get a lot of hate. Yeah. And you're going to get a lot of people pointing at the cost of that. Mm -hmm. Right. What they're not really able to compare that to is the cost of not doing that. Yeah. You know, what happens when what happened when Italy had galloping inflation? What happened when Argentina had hyperinflation? Like yeah. that's what you're trying to avoid. And mm -hmm. it's and a lot of political ideology right now seems to be based on infinite money. Like people yeah. think up these programs with no sense of like resource allocation. Like student Loan. Yeah, like forgiving all the student loans. Yeah. Of course you can do that. It's just on paper. Who cares, right? Yeah. And as if that wouldn't cause massive inflation, mm -hmm. you know? So, and and there's also this issue that like, you know, sometimes it doesn't because there's some other factor that happens. Like um, after the 2008 recessions, uh, you know, interest rates were forced really low. That should have caused some inflation. It really didn't. Well, why? Was it because of China soaking up U.S. debt? Mm -hmm. Was it some like there was some capacity in the economy to mm -hmm. absorb it? You know, it could have been all those things. Right. Um, but in general, the logic is still sound. You know, it's not like, hey, we just disproved that artificially low interest rates cause inflation. That's not what you proved. You yeah. just saw one example where it didn't. And we should it go didn't. look for the reason. You well, I, I think something that we talked about in the last podcast is that the 2008 you know, that that made me just draw the conclusion like, oh, we can just manipulate things enough to get out of it, you know, um, and well, here's the basic economic theory there, which I think is defensible, but it's not mm -hmm. actually what happened. So the, the defensible theory is that your government in times of emergency may need to overspend and run up debt. Mm -hmm. Right. And that emergency could be World War Two. It could be like a crop failure or a pandemic. All those would be like valid reasons why your government might overspend its income, mm -hmm. right? And you could even say that that overspending might stimulate the economy and help you get out of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. The only way that that theory makes sense is if during the good times you have a budget surplus. So you basically, it's just the same as your family, right? You yeah. would save up money during the good times. And then when you have a crisis, yeah, you're going to spend more than you make, mm -hmm. right? That's a sound defensible theory. There's people who hate that theory, but it's reasonable. You know, yeah. the thing that's kind of unreasonable about it is no one ever saves. Right. You know, the federal right. government never doesn't have the political um, discipline to execute this, I, this economic policy. Do you think the federal government or the fed thinks that it is actually addressing inflation right now? <laughs> yes. Okay. So, 
I, I wonder if I should talk about, I'm going to talk about that question you just asked, but I really, we haven't even gotten to the implications of runaway debt for the nation. Okay. You know? We can, but like, um, yeah, you know, the fed right now, uh, I mean, they can't be dumb, but they are trying to solve a short term inflation problem. I, I see things like, yes, in 224, it should be better. 20, sorry, 2024. It could be. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the other historical thing I should have mentioned was 2% inflation is kind of like what Americans have baked into the system. Like we, we expect it. You grew up natural. with 2% inflation. Yeah. So like if your ground beef is four bucks, it'll be uh, eight cents more expensive next mm-hmm. year. You've gotten to think that's normal. Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, the world doesn't have to be that way, but we've all kind of acclimated to that. It's not the mm-hmm. most unreasonable thing in the world. So you we're used totally to this 2% it. inflation. Yeah. yeah to <laughs> right. the point you don't yeah. even notice it. Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we had a year of 10% inflation. Mm-hmm. That's how bad it got. It got five mm-hmm. times what we're used to. And we took notice. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're trying to tame that by increasing the interest rate, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Right. Every time they increase the interest rate, guess what's happening to the national debt? The national debt's also growing faster because of that higher interest rate. Okay. Right. They might tame it for 2024. They might tame it for the next four or five years. I don't know, but I do know that the debt is getting to the point that it grows faster than our economy and it grows faster than anything we're getting from it. We're not getting an asset in exchange and our income's not increasing Mm -hmm. as fast as our debt's increasing. And therefore we've hit the tipping point. Now, my whole life, there have been debt doomers. Yeah. Uh, and they weren't totally wrong, but they also weren't totally right. At this point, I'm just not seeing any way out besides massive printing of money. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, what, I'm sorry. I jumped the gun there. We kind of got off the like, kind of like way of like very linearly arguing this. So let's, let's get back to the linear thing for a second. So if you know you're at this tipping point, you know, or you're getting to the point that it's starting to run away from you faster than you can run. You know, uh, you have to either go to into an austerity budget, which there seems to be no political will for, mm-hmm. uh, or you have to have something that booms your economy like nothing before. And it would be like nothing before. We'd have to have economic growth like we've you've never seen in your lifetime. Or you're going to do one of two things. You're going to solve it by printing money fast or printing, printing money slow. Right. So when other countries have this problem, they, you know, just start printing their currency. The definition of hyperinflation is often like a hundred percent inflation in one month. That is you crazy mean, to like, me. I would call yeah. hyperinflation 20% inflation one month, but the real definition is a hundred percent inflation one month. And wow. that has happened historically. Argentina yeah. was, went through it in the nineties and they're going through it now. Like yeah. Big, so you, you mean like, you know, butter is like $4 and some for two pounds and it would become $8. Exactly. Like, yeah. There's a lot of concern about the price of butter around here, by the way. <laughs> right. You're in a butter loving area. Yeah. Uh, but like, for example, like we're feeling pain in our family budgets over 10% inflation that happened slightly over a year. Mm-hmm. You know, this would be a, this would be way worse. Yeah. You know, so that's hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is like, let's say they aren't that crazy and they don't like try to like wipe out the balance sheet of debt in one month. Instead, what they plan on doing is try to let's let's just print so much that like next year the we see the whole debt shrink. 
you know, instead of 1.2 times GDP, after a year it'll be 1.1, and then it'll be 1, and then it'll be 9.9. The problem with that is, is what I said earlier, that the interest rate has got to be above the inflation rate, mm-hmm. right? The natural interest rate has got to be above the inflation rate, or no one would lend money. Yeah. So if you start saying, we're going to just print away 20% of the debt, you better do it secretly and take people by surprise, or your interest rate will go above 20%. And it'll make these 7% mortgage costs look insanely cheap. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry. Why do it by surprise? You, you would need to start printing away the debt before people realize you did it. Because if people realized you were doing it, the interest rate would start increasing. And as the interest rate starts to increase, your debt would start to grow potentially as fast as you're printing it away. I'm, I'm not totally understanding. Wouldn't that just happen after you print it anyway? Um, yeah, or you pay so, it off at the lower rate and then the, debt, the rate goes up. Like if you pay it off in one enormous chunk... Like say you just like decrease our debt by fifty percent really quickly. That's hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. All right, that would be hu- I mean, humiliation would be the least of our concerns. It would humiliate the U.S., yeah. but that would not be the real problem. The real problem would be starvation. You know. Mm-hmm. So if you pay it off super quick, well, then you got your debt down by half, and then you just let things normalize. And you know, debt half the size of the economy is you know reasonable. You mm-hmm. know. But if you pay it off, say, like a little bit at a time, but more than 2%, like say like you're trying to get 10% of the debt paid off in a year by just printing money, well, then your interest rate goes above 10%, mm-hmm. right? And the, the, the Fed can't always control that. They have a lot of control, but not all of the control on that. So mm-hmm. uh, if the interest rates are skyrocketing, now the debt you didn't pay off is skyrocketing at that new interest rate. Yeah. Right. And that's when you get in a problem that you could call galloping inflation, where you're like trying to spin down a chunk each year by printing away, printing it away. But it's also kind of you're not really being as effective as you should be because your interest rate is skyrocketing while you're spending it down. Right. Yeah. Places with really high inflation kind of give up on banking. Like in Argentina right now, you buy houses with cash. They don't have banks that give mortgages because it's the inflation environment yeah. is not um, sane enough for a bank to operate. They just kind of gave up on the interest rate there. <laughs> um, uh, so that's kind of the problem. So in the next 10 years, um, unless you know we have this economic boom that would be unprecedented or we have austerity measures, which no one is even inferring will happen, um, there's going to be one of two things. There's going to be like a really bad inflationary event where we in one big chunk try to wipe out a good part of the debt by printing, or there's going to be galloping inflation Mm -hmm. where we could be like Italy in the seventies where five years, the five year average inflation was 15% a year. Right. So that will make this one year of 10% look reasonable. Like nothing. Yeah. 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 And um, I'm bringing this up because It's just, I don't hear people talking about how we've reached this debt level that can now run away from us faster than our economy can grow. Yeah. And no one's really talking about that, but it's just kind of in black and white. It's not hidden. You can all verify this by pulling up the data. It's a very easy, you know, Google search, you know? Um, And I think that smart money knows it. 
you know, meaning you like think nobody's talking about it because it's not politically expedient or the same way two years ago, no one was talking that 10% inflation was coming down the pipe and world yeah. hunger was coming down the pipe because of the, what we'd done to the money supply. No one yeah. was talking about that, but guess what? Wall street was buying up houses. Yeah. You know, low interest rates. Right. Yeah. So wall street knew it was happening. Yeah. Uh, and they weren't like, publishing it in the New York times, but like they knew it was ha like people, it was very clear it had to happen, but in the national consciousness for the average person, it was not, um, people weren't like getting the message out. Right. Right. And now we're at a point where the national debt will start running away from us at a point we can't keep up with. And there's only like one solution to that really, which would be print a lot of money which was going to result in inflation either quickly or galloping that's going to cause a problem too. Why? So let me just, I kind of want to go through. Okay. So you brought up four solutions, one like massive economic growth, like we've never had before. There's no reason to expect that. That's kind of, I mean, if I was irrelevant, to, I mean, you could make a case AI might cause it, but I don't think so. Sure. Yeah. But uh, th there's not like a, thing we're waiting on right now <laughs> it's, a, it's a moonshot yeah. you know what i mean it's yeah. like a it's like be very hopeful that'd be great if it happened yeah yeah well it's like a moonshot but we're not even taking the shot because we have no idea what would bring it about it, so. right, it's a rabbit out of a hat it's like yeah. somebody's gotta like do something very unexpected for that to happen yeah. you know yeah. yeah okay so okay with the austerity budget idea that could be effective possibly but you don't think it will happen well, because like, let's it's say, not popular. Like, you know, the debt ceiling debate, right? That happened about a month or two ago, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the Republicans were using the debt ceiling as leverage to get some of their policies through on the Democrats, mm -hmm. right? And there were literally people <laughs> at major financial institutions even who were like, we should just get away with the debt ceiling, you know? Yeah. Like, would you get away with the debt ceiling for your own family or for any business? Yeah. Yeah. No. Right. Like, it's just, nuts, it's just yeah. like. It's like there's no it would be it would require the Democrat and Republican Party to both become fiscal budget hawks. Yeah. And I just you're not seeing that yet. OK, know? I have another question about austerity measures. Who who feels that like, you know, if you're in oh, a family right. and you tighten right. your belt, it's like, OK, you're not having your favorite meat for dinner or maybe you're not eating that much meat for dinner. I think that is the last you know, really how I wanted to conclude with this is now what, what are you going to do? Right. Cause it's not like, Hey, you're going to politically solve this problem. Right. Mm -hmm. So now what can you do to help yourself, your family and your friends get through this? Right. Um, and the reality, you know, and the danger is like 10% inflation has, you know, hurt my family budget, hurt almost everyone's family budget. Yeah. People are upset about it. Um, imagine it was 15, not 10. So now it's 50% worse. And then imagine it's year after year after year after year. Yeah. That would start getting very upsetting. It could be destabilizing. There's a lot of things it could be right. Um, destabilizing politically, you know, yeah. like, I mean, like, you know how people got fed up in 2020 and there were the black lives matter riots and it was January 6th, right? Yeah. Whatever. yeah it's yeah. like people start acting out when things suck, you know? Yeah. So there's all those problems, right? But like the, the old story of inflation was that there's all these like people who survived the Great Depression with a bunch of cash stuffed in a mattress somewhere, mm -hmm. right? And that inflation robs them of their money because their money's stuck in a mattress and now it's worth 10% less or 15% less, right? Mm -hmm. 
in reality, everyone with about over 10K right now probably has some stocks. It's so easy to sign up for like Charles Schwab or Ameritrade or whatever the company is. Trade, you know, yeah. just put that money in the market. Now you're invested in an asset that can go up with inflation. You're not just in cash, you know. So that's an issue, right? The person you don't want to be when this galloping inflation happens or this mega inflation event happens is you don't want to be a wage earner, wage earner renting a home or mm-hmm. renting an apartment, you know, mm-hmm. because you're going to get the worst squeeze of everyone, which yeah. that, by the way, I just described the poor, the lower middle class. That's who I just described, right? What you want well, to be I, is- I think I think right now a lot of people are already feeling like homeownership is out of grasp, you know, so you're right. saying it's going to be even more. <laughs> Not only so. that, I mean, yeah, it'll, it'll be out of grasp. It'll be out of reach rather, but it will be, um, you'll also just be getting squeezed and have real financial hardship. Now, yeah. let me throw this out there, right? Like say that you stretch right now and buy any, like, so if you are the wage earner with very little wealth, very little assets and um, are renting, you have a big problem, right? The next best situation is to be, is to just have uh, assets, right? Mm -hmm. And then the best situation, the people who are actually going to have the wealth transfer are people who have assets with fixed rate debt. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because like, say someone, I'm going to use a hundred thousand dollar house. I know most of the nation, there's no such thing as a hundred thousand (laughs) dollar house, but the math works well with hundred thousand dollar houses. All right. So somebody puts 10 K down on a hundred thousand dollar house. Okay. So they technically own 10% of that house and kind of the bank owns 90% of that house, right? Because they owe 90K on that house. If there's like, say, 10% inflation, now the house is worth 110. And Mm -hmm. if you just, you know, didn't... And you own 20,000. So now you you went from owning 10% of the house to owning, um, you know, like almost 20% of the house, probably 18% of the house and did squat. You know what I mean? That was just like free money for you. Right. And if that happens for a few years, you could essentially get gifted a third of the home. Right. Mm -hmm. And another way people talk about this is you're borrowing expensive dollars and paying it back in cheap dollars. You're borrowing the dollars that are more valuable. And then in the future, after inflation happens, the dollars are less valuable and that's what you're using to pay back the debt. And that's the game wall street plays. That's, that's exactly what they did in this first like inflation problem we had over the last two years. And it's what they're going to play over the next decade. They're going to try to buy up assets with fixed rate debt. And then they're going to um, just pay off that debt in the future at, you know, with dollars that are worth far less. Yeah. So I think this might be kind of a frustrating thing to hear if you're in the situation where you can't buy a house right now. Um, So so I don't know what to say about that, but I do think there's like a small percentage of people that are maybe close or ready to buy a house, but are thinking, let me wait for the interest rate to go down because right. it seems so high compared to before. Right. Right. And we're, and we're you're at right no. now, we're at the um, <laughs> yeah. long run average uh, mortgage rate, you know, 3% was a subsidized rate. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't see how we get back to 3% yeah. given everything I just described, Yeah, you know, so I can see easily how we get way above 7%, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And so I think a lot of people, the question is, hey, is there a way for me to stretch and buy a house? Is there a way, 
uh, like it doesn't work well in my budget, but maybe I need to do it. Right. This mm-hmm. is like the middle class problem because the middle class has access to mortgages. The lower class yeah. doesn't have access to, to loans at all. Right. Yeah. Or they have, you know, some credit card ones don't count here because they're at such insane interest rates. But so I don't know. Like, I mean, is there, this is is there kinda, another way to invest in assets that's not a home? <laughs> well, yeah. well, it's really invest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing is, though, what I'm saying is that if you invest in assets and pay cash, you'll do OK during inflation because your assets will go up with inflation. Yeah. Um, if you invest in assets using financing yeah. at a fixed rate, not at a variable rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you're making money with inflation, right? And that's the Wall Street game, and that's what a middle-class person could position themselves for right now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And everything I'm saying is not like, hey, in January, this is going to happen. Yeah. Right? Like, if we're still doing this podcast in two years, I'd like to do a two-year check-in to see how things went, you know? But I wouldn't be surprised if this hits in five years, seven years. I think I would think it happens in the next decade. I just don't mm-hmm. know when. And I think yeah. anyone who acts like they do know when is weird. Now, I bet there's people listening who are like, you fools, tell them to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> it's not obviously a terrible idea. It's also not obviously a great idea. I would probably buy an asset that generated income, like a, mm-hmm. like a real safe stock, you know, mm-hmm. then I would buy Bitcoin because I don't want to ever give financial advice that made people go backwards. And I'm not giving financial advice. I'm not a certified financial planner. but economically we are very likely for very bad inflation over the next 10 years mm-hmm. and just based on one simple fact the debt is 120 percent the size of the economy and is growing faster than the economy and there's no way to reverse that without unrealistic things like an economic boom like we've never seen or austerity measures that no one wants to do so those things if you think those things are probably not going to happen then the way it's going to get reversed is money printing I, I asked you this question before, I think, but there wasn't a direct like how 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 does how do individuals feel austerity measures like specifically like what like decrease in food stamps or what 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 are you talking about? Yeah, so austerity measures are just creating a budget surplus. Mm-hmm. You know, so you could do that through I haven't studied the budget carefully, so I don't know where the obvious place would be to try to cut it. Like, you know, during the COVID stimulus package, right, where I said mm-hmm. one set, one out of every $7 went to families. All right. There were winners and losers with the COVID stimulus. Yeah. You know, um, if you just got the one in $7 and it didn't somehow, you didn't somehow use that to buy a house or something like that, then you're probably a net loser. Yeah. Right. If you yeah. somehow uh, lobbied and got six of the $7... <laughs> you you're probably coming out better than worse you could probably be Mm -hmm. like okay i got six out of seven dollars and now 10 percent inflation's coming but i got i bought some stuff that's gonna see me through this you know so in austerity it's hard to say who the winners and losers are because we don't really know what they cut yeah you know um I mean, right now, if there was some political candidate that said, I will keep the debt to GDP ratio at 1.2, like over four years, mm-hmm. I would vote for that guy mm. because he's not solving the problem, but he's not making it he's worse. He's not making it worse. Yeah. And it's so hard to not make it worse right now that yeah. like that would be like a small victory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I heard something that uh, was kind of, we're going to do a different podcast in the future about how we've changed our minds 
over the last year or so. Um, I heard someone say that the U.S. was an experiment in the smallest government the world had ever seen, the smallest mm. federal government. And it was that, you know, in the 19th century, you know, and sometime in the 20th century, we've now gotten to be the biggest, most powerful government the world has ever seen. So it's the opposite experiment. Right. We've completely yeah. reversed, you know, all with using the same constitution. Mm. You know, that's kind of interesting, but yeah. it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I just want people to walk away with one idea. Inflation it might get better in the short run, but you need to position yourself and your family so that if it gets a lot worse in the next 10 years, you're okay. And Dave Ramsey has helped a lot of people, but his logic doesn't hold in this environment. Yeah. It didn't hold two years ago when we did our inflation podcast because he would say like, pay off your house or pay off this and you'll be free and, and you'll actually own your house. And that's all cool because owning your house can underrate that, you know, Yeah. but like you will not do as well in a high inflation environment if you did that. Yeah. All right, Laura, I think we just leave bum, people bum, with that. Bum. I know. <laughs> like I've, t I've, tr I've been practicing this pitch because I feel like this is really obvious logic. So how do I help people understand it? And I'll tell people and they go, but Clark, what's the answer? I'm like, oh, none. Like, there's no, I mean, there's no like political thing you're going to do to stop this. This is just this has happened. I, I agree. There's no political thing. And I think we've talked about how national elections really don't influence <laughs> your daily life. But I, I, I do think um, this gives a frame to understand promises that politicians are making. Right. You know, you know, you know something that I think everyone kind of knows, but we rarely say out loud, is that like if you do some great economic policy, it's got to take a year or two before it hits. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. like, like I think Biden has been a bad president economically, but when we got 10% inflation, it frankly wasn't his fault. It wasn't right. You know, it all, had, right. it, all of the stage had been set for that under, you know, yeah. before he was elected, you know, yeah. um, that doesn't mean he did anything good about it, you know, but mm -hmm. like, that's just like, you can't say Biden is why we had 10% inflation. No. I mean, two years before that's why we had 10% inflation. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. All right. All right. God bless you, Laura. All right. All sorry right, if this Clark. is a bummer. We'll get back to heavenly or interesting uh, takes next week. I think this yeah. was important, though. Yeah. All right. Like, subscribe, share. Oh, and yeah. we just put out a uh, Bishop interview that was rocking. Oh, yeah. I'm, I haven't heard podcast. it. Looking forward to it. All right. Yeah. Talk to you later. Talk to you later, Clark. Mm -hmm.